you were attending church many, many years ago, it wouldn't be uncommon for them to start service by reading Psalm 113.1, which would have been through a soloist, where the author would have sung, Hallelujah, give praise, servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Good morning, Calvary. We're glad that you are here with us in person and online as we continue to walk towards um, gathering back together in a couple weeks as we keep going. The Psalms 113 is a hymn, a song of hymn, a song of praise. And as you really look at this passage, what, what became of this passage is this was kind of like their Amazing Grace or Waymaker. or It was a song that everyone would know. It wouldn't have been um, out of the realm of possibilities that at the end of the Lord's Supper, when the disciples gathered and went out, that they would have sung this very psalm before they went out. And the way this verse unpacked is actually going perfectly into our series on 27,375, which in case you weren't here last week, the 27,375 describes that each day is a day that we should live for the glory of God. And that's representative of how many days that we are, on the average, living on this planet. 27,375. So one, Psalm 113.1 says, Hallelujah, give praise, servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, and then from there, verses 2 through 4, the people would have sung, the choir would have sung. So we're all going to sing, I'm just kidding. We're going to listen as I read this out loud, what the choir would have sung. Let the name of the Lord be blessed, both now and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, from the name of the Lord to be blessed. Let the name of the Lord be blessed. The Lord is exalted above all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Verse 2 there is found throughout uh, many of the Psalms. It's a way they would have set up the rest of the Psalms. Let the name of the Lord be blessed. But verses 3 and 4 really talks about finding the balance of the glory of God as the way it's practiced by us as followers of Jesus, declaring that every moment and every day will be lived and sung to His glory. This is a key element of our life. From the rising of the sun till its setting, let us praise the Lord. So that every moment of our life is to be used and lived for His glory. Now, the way that this translates is not always easy. Because a lot of times what we do is we come sing on Sunday mornings and we go out and, and maybe you're singing in your living room this morning, maybe you sung in here. It's great to have some faces here as we start walking towards the yellow light in a couple weeks. We hope even more people will be able, feel comfortable about coming back. And as we gather together and as we sing, it's not just about the songs we sing, but the way we live. And living our day-by-day, moment-by-moment, from the rising of the sun till the setting, may the name of the Lord be praised. It can't just be found in a brick-and-mortar church on a Sunday morning. It can't just be found in the good times. It can't just be found... In, it has to be something that we do every day, all 20,000-plus of the days, all 27,375 days. But in order to practice that, we have to understand that this is not always easy to do. Can we, can we acknowledge it's not always easy to praise God? Because when circumstances are going bad, I don't know, say a pandemic hits, or a lot of racial uncertainty, or maybe you work in the, in the profession of law enforcement, you're sitting there struggling right now, and, and I want you to hear that God is good through all of this. And we are to praise Him in every way. So how do we do that? 
Well, to truly understand how we to adequately be able to praise God from a daily perspective, we must acknowledge that he is both above us and simultaneously with us. That's actually not what I was supposed to read right there. Here's the real what I was supposed to read to you. God is not our reality because we choose to make him so. He is our reality because everything that exists is from him. Without him, there is no reality. Let me try that again in case you were sidebarred by the fact that I read the wrong thing. God is not our reality because we choose to make him so. He is our reality because everything that exists is from him. Without him, there is no reality. So the way that we know that we can praise God in every situation is because we were made and we were not mistakes. No matter of what your skin color is, no matter of your background, no matter what your hair color, and maybe sometimes you wish that you weren't born with red hair, but God gave you that. Maybe sometimes you were born, wish that you had hair at, at the age you are, but God gave you that. Maybe sometimes we look around our life and we wish things were different, but God does not make mistakes. And you and I were made in the image of God. And, and, and since the beginning of time, this loving Father didn't just start the world in motion and hope it turned out well. No, He, he made us to live our lives declaring how good He was. And we walked away from that. And that's called sin. And we walked, when we walked through sin, we became separated from our ideal. And the struggle to live a life of praise is the struggle to stay in touch with the relationship that God wants us to. And it begins by understanding and living in the reality that He should be not a part of our reality, but He should be our reality. And everything should disseminate from that. Well, to understand how to do that, in these verses, we must first look at two often ignored and seldom understood doctrines. Yay, doctrines. The doctrines of transcendence and eminence. And the do God, doctrine of transcendence is this. It's a term often utilized to summarize the ways in which God is above us by nature of his holiness and divinity. Sometimes we call this reverence. That God is holy and wise and we should, we should honor him and we should, we should hold him in esteem. And so we gather together because he is holy and he is holy. In fact, we can chase it back to throughout the Bible. Anytime someone first encounters the presence of God, you know what their first reaction is? I'm about to die. Oh my goodness, here is something that is so holy and something so outlandishly above me. And the Bible says that when we all die and we stand before the Father, what's going to happen in that moment is you're going to get on your knee. Because you're going to realize, oh, I don't have my life together as much as I thought. I'm not perfect. And here I am in the presence of holiness. God is something that is so much bigger beyond what I can fathom. He is transcendent to the way we live. But God is not only transcendent, he is also imminent. And that's an important because God's imminence explains how he is both knowable and near. So when we messed up, God didn't sit there and go, well, here's what you should have done. Boop, sorry. And what separates Christianity from all the other uh, faiths that seemingly try to worship a God that isn't real? 
is that the idea that God made you to be in an intimate covenant relationship, that means an unbreakable bond. Think of the Harry Potter unbreakable vow, right? I'm not going to be able to separate myself from this love covenant relationship. And then God didn't just sit there and go, so here's the balance and here's the struggle. And here's where we don't know how to do this well because they seemingly are in opposition, yet they work together. God's eminence says that we are loved and liked and are in to be in a relationship with him. Woohoo! I love that. Everybody just loves, right? But yet God's transcendence means he's above us and almost unknowable. So what does that look like? Let's go a little deeper. The Gospel Coalition says this. On the doctrine of transcendence. While the world is not, it's, the word itself is not used in the Bible, transcendence is a convenient term to summarize the ways that God is above us. He is to be exalted. He dwells in the heaven above. He is enthroned on high. He is himself the most high. And so when you're looking at the doctrine of the Trinity, which is another doctrinal term, I know this is like Seminary 101, congratulations today. Um, as you're really getting into this, what this looks like, the doctrine of the Trinity says that there is God who is one, but he's also three in the form of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three, but one. Three that make up one, one that make up three. Same thing, okay? Now, the doctrine of the Father, who understanding who the Father is, so often what we think of when we think of the doctrine of transcendence. He is above, he is God. And that just makes sense, because when I was a little kid, my dad was really cool. He still is, in case he's listening. Still our dad, love you. But I remember at like three years old thinking, you know, do anybody remember going to like, or even kindergarten? You go to kindergarten and you had like a disagreement, my dad's way cooler than yours. Why can't middle schoolers do that, you know? They don't. But when you're like five, your dad is like, oh, or, or maybe it was your mom for you, or maybe it was some, but there were, when you were three or five, somebody when this, they were like, they know everything. Dad, what time does the TV show come on? Eight o'clock. Oh, how do you know that? You're just brilliant. There's this thing called TV Guide, you know, like all these things that they know everything. And so that's kind of the idea of above. The Father knows us and loves us. When we come to the understanding of imminence, the Gospel Coalition on the Doctrine of Imminence says this, the heart of the covenant is the relationship of intimacy. It is the chief promise of the covenant of the, is the Lord's word, I will be with you. This traces back to the fact that when my boys were born, ever since they were born, I've always said the following, you can never do anything to make me not love you. You may disappoint me. I may have to punish you. The day may come where I even have to not support whatever you're doing. But I will always love you. So the doctrine of imminence, the idea of love, says that God didn't leave us in our peril. That his holiness, even though we didn't follow it, we didn't ask and do what he asked us to be. He still, the father sent his son Jesus, and then we get the word Emmanuel, God is with us to help us understand the idea of the doctrine of imminence. And the Holy Spirit comes on us. So when you think of the doctrine of the Trinity, think of the doctrines of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and we understand that His presence can fall on us to guide us and guard us in the way we should live. Some of you are like, this is so interesting. How does it change my life? I'm glad you said. 
It has to be in balance. So let's, let's chase this down and, and, and talk about how difficult this is. Denominations split and have wars over this. Maybe you grew up in a church where you were told to revere God. That's absolutely true. Why? Because he's 100% holy and you and I aren't. He's good, he's pure, and, and we should worship him because he is above us. And so we have to treat him with reverence and awe and, and hold him there. But transcendence, the idea of keeping God holy without eminence, leads to illegalism and, and, and a life that's like, I'm never going to be good enough, and, and the, all these other faulty things. Now, maybe you grew up in a church that was like, man, we just love everybody. We love every. Uh, you want to do that? No problem. You keep doing that. You know, uh, we're gonna. We're, I don't. I started to say something ridiculous, but my filter's working. Thank you. And so we're gonna think of the most outlandish thing. It's okay as long as you love God. That's ridiculous because God doesn't want us to live in peril. So the balance of these, like. A, what I call a teeter-totter, someone in the last service said you should call it a seesaw, that's a more acceptable term. I don't think it's like unacceptable, I just think it, in Texas we called it a teeter-totter, and I don't know what y'all call it here. But I don't use that word that often. They're actually really dangerous, by the way. They've, they've been blocked out. Why are we blocking off those things? Those were fun. You get up one side, so one side of it, we have the doctrine of transcendence, like, okay, God is holy. Woo! Let's elevate God as holy. And then what ends up happening is the uh, God is eminence goes down. But I need to feel loved. Woo! And so then obviously, the, okay, God loves me, but now I don't feel like I have to live up to his holiness. And that's how we go back and forth. But let me argue a point, because that was a lot of rabbit chasing to get to this one thing that we're hunting. God both intimately desires for you to know that, that leaning into him is the best way while walking you through it. And in order to praise God every single moment with every single day, you have to allow God's presence to guide you and guard you as you walk through life. Let me give you another practical illustration. When I stand up here to preach, you're hoping I'm practicing transcendence and imminence. You are. But I remember going to school, and I went to, uh, when I was at Howard Payne University, home of the Mighty Fighting Yellow Jackets, sing them. And when I was there, we went to a preaching class, and when we were in preaching class, I remember a guy, I'm not going to tell his name, but let's call him Joe, that's not his name. Joe went to Dr. Smith and said, Dr. Smith, I didn't prepare my sermon today. And he goes, why not? He goes, well, I just felt like the Holy Spirit needed to guide me. That's leaning a little bit into God's presence. Why? Because God can work in practice and preparation too. Do you get it? So you're not hoping I'm coming up here just winging it. You're hoping I've done a little research. But while I'm up here, you're also hoping and praying. Or when Drew's up here, you're hoping and praying. Or when Chris is leading us in worship. Or when the Jordan's with the kids ministry. Or when Amy's typing on Facebook as she's doing right now. You're hoping... And you're praying that the power of God is not contained to the limitations of human understanding. In other words, that God is going to do something bigger in and through us than what I can ever do on my own. Do you get it? 
And that only happens when those two things are in balance. Now, this is key. Because when you learn to balance the fact that God, His wisdom is far out what you can ever know or comprehend. And when you learn to walk in that presence, you start going, I cannot attain this, but God still is going to be with me. That's how you have peace in the storm. That's how you sit there and you go, yeah, I don't have all the answers, but I know God is good. Let me give you another illustration. Um, I recently heard a sermon by uh, Erwin McManus, and Erwin was describing one night he got awoken by his wife in the middle of the night. She was like really mad at him. He's like, what's the deal? And she goes, you were just so mean to me. And he was like, what did I do? She was like, you did this, this, and this. And he goes, wait a minute, I was asleep. How did I do those things? She goes, you did it in my dream. She was mad. And he said, I looked at her and I go, how am I responsible for what happened in your dream? She goes, I don't know, but you better not do it again. And he said, of course, she was just waking up. And so she, that was not her, like, thinking clearly method or anything like that. So he, he wasn't trying to be mean, but he, he described it as, how often do we do this about our relationship with God? We create a reality and we go, God, how could you allow this to happen? And, and I don't, and he's sitting there going, you're not living in the right reality. You're living in a made-up reality that's in your head. It's not, I am always good. I can't help but be good. Why? Because I am holy. That's the transcendence of who I am. And in order to understand that when you walk in that, you're going to begin to realize, I am good. And when you chase after that, you're going to find out that I am far greater than your greatest expectation. And you'll be able to rest in me when you accept that I should be your reality, not what's up here. Do we do that? So as we simultaneously, this is what I read earlier, I'm supposed to read now. As we simultaneously participate in recognizing the holiness of God while still inviting Him to be an intimate part of our daily lives, we will live a life of praise. Easy said has been done. Let me give you another uh, passage. Malachi 1.11 so once again, let me, let me give you a little background here. In Malachi 1.11, God is responding to the people. And what they've done is, I'm assuming, and the commentators assume that they have just had church. Woohoo! Church! Brick and mortar church. They sung their songs, they, and they sang Waymaker and Amazing Grace, a.k.a. Psalm 113. All right? They did it because they had been exiled to Babylon. They now are coming back. And they're like, woohoo, we survived our pandemic. We survived our uh, whatever, our problems. And now we're gathering together and we're going to sing what we've, we're going to do it like we've always done it. And so in Malachi 1.11, we see, my name will be great among the nations. God is speaking. From the rising of the sun to its setting. In other words, you sang the song, you recognized that I'm good. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name. You brought your gifts and your offerings to me. In every place, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. You had church. Congratulations. <laughs> Woohoo! Then we read verse 12. But you profaning, you are profaning it when you said, The Lord's table is defiled, and his product, its foods, are contemptible. You also say, Look, what a nuisance. Stupid face masks, right? And you scorn it, social distancing, says the Lord of armies. 
You bring me your stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that with your hands? Ask the Lord. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. You claim to praise me, but you didn't honor me as holy. You gave me lip service to your song, so your praise is not accepted. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of looking in the mirror right here going, oh God, please help that not be me. Malachi 3 goes on in famous verse. People like to preach on tithing. I'm not going there today, but it's basically you brought me your lame offerings and no, I'm not going to accept them. I don't care how much money it is. It wasn't your best. And I think how often do we sit there and fool ourselves into thinking that we know what God wants and we bring him our reality that is our reality and not his. So if you really want to walk in the presence of God and praise Him day by day, you have to balance the fact that God knows more than you. Disavow your reality and accept Him as your reality, that He is the wise one, and then allow His love to fall on you. That's where you find peace. Transcendence and imminence in balance. So, what does that look like? It looks like we come to the place where we realize we don't have life figured out. Do you know that that's, you do realize that's kind of like an American goal, right? I want to own my business. Why? I don't want to tell anybody to tell me what to do. I want to retire. Why? I don't want to tell anybody, anybody to be able to tell me what to do. I want to be financially stable. Why? I don't want to have to lean on anybody. My independence is my importance. It's my value. It's the American dream. And hear me, some of those things aren't bad except that that becomes preeminent. If the goal of your life is to have, no, to have no one to tell you what to do, then you don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because as a follower of Jesus, we recognize that there are some things that I can't understand. And aren't you glad? Because as a pastor right now, I can't fix this world. And the moment I start trying to fix this world, it feels like a weight too big for me to bury, carry. Oh, my last name's Barry. I carry because... It is too big of a weight for me to carry. You can't fix your family. You can't fix your work. You can't fix the world around you. But you know the one who can. And so when you come to the floor and say, God, whatever it takes, here I am. And you learn to submit to his will and go to his word and find out what he wants us to do. You'll find his truth. Here's the key. His word. Uh, I, I wasn't going there. I didn't go there in the early service, but Vody Bachum has said that the, the church has far too often adopted what we call a new canon. The canon is the accepted words of God as found in the scripture, in case you didn't know. It's not a boom, boom, tank canon, okay? The canon is the books that we find, the words we find in the Bible that we accept as God's words. Now, he says, here's what a lot of times the world do. We'll go, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, read God's word and all these books. There's nothing wrong with those books. But the only thing that we accept as truly inerrant God's word is the Bible. So let me encourage you, read the Bible more than books or podcasts. 
Find out what God has to say, not what some people say that God has to say. And lean into that. So, ultimately, here's the choice you have. Do you want to live a life of praise? Do you want to find a life of peace? Take in a deep breath and realize you don't have to figure it out. Isn't that freeing? Oh, I don't have to figure out how to raise my kids. Amen. I still got to do my part. I don't have to fix. My wife doesn't have to fix me. I still got to do my part. But I'm going to rest in the peace of God by trusting his way. If you've never given your life to Jesus, it begins there. And the way that this practices, the spiritual practice of spiritual discipline of submission is what draws us into the presence of God as we grow towards intimacy with him. In Ephesians, it, it talks about submitting to one another. And then it says, wives submit to their husbands, and husbands lead your wives. But don't forget that husbands, the way that you lead your wife to do that is to submit to her best interest for your life. It's not about having her do what you want to do. And all the ladies wit. So this is what it looks like submitting to not your will, but God's. So here's our uh, daily training. If you don't, first of all, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to follow him. To realize that he died for you and gave his life on a cross so that you could find peace in a chaotic world. If you've never done that, let us know. Go to yourcalvary.info slash follow. For the rest of us who are already professing uh, followers of Jesus, I want to practice you to practice the discipline of submission. Here's a simple way to do that this week. Create a list of people in your life whom you respect because of their wisdom and maturity in the faith. And be intentional to not only ask for their opinions, but allow God to use them to guide you. Be willing to submit to their leadership. Because here's how this works a lot of times. Oh, I wonder if I should take this job. Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask Drew Phillips. Drew Phillips, should I take this? By the way, don't read anything. This is a simple example. Drew Phillips, should I take this job? Drew said no, but I think the answer is yes. So I don't think he's walking with the spirit right now. So I'm going to do it. Am I right? I, I'm going to go ask my four friends. Well, the first three said no, but the fourth one said yes. Find the godly people who will walk you through it and pray it. And then submit, trusting that God can speak to them to impact your life. Ooh, that's deep. Here's another challenge. Submit to the leadership of this church. I submit to the leadership of this church because I'm not the end-all, be-all of this church. There's a personal team I, I report to. You need to know that. But as you submit to leadership of the church, trust that God is going to use us to help you walk with him. That's the point. And finally, if you can't think of anyone, let us help you connect you with a small group and our mentor that can be a voice of wisdom in your life. And we're here to help you. Life is not meant to do alone, so that's why we miss you, church. Two weeks when we start to go light, I hope a lot of you feel more comfortable. We're coming back. When the green light comes and everybody comes back, let's be the church. Showing people that God is 
good and holy and let's live our life as a life of praise and a testimony to him. God, I thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Would you guard us and guide us as we are drawn into you? Teach us what it means to be faithful and to follow you. Teach us what it means to lean into you. God, when we fail you, remind us of the love. Pick us back up and help us to then seek after your holiness for what is best for our lives. So that we might walk in peace, that we might walk in love, that we might walk in all the other fruits of the Spirit, gentleness, compassion, kindness. God, we pray that you would work in us, that revival would begin right now, right here with me. That in this world, you would dismantle and destroy the things that are destructive racism would cease that peace would abound that we would learn to give each other the benefit of the doubt instead of throwing a rock first and asking if it hurts God I pray that you would do something amazing as we chase after you because we can't do it but you can so God may today be a day from the beginning of the sunrising till the, the setting of the same that we remind ourselves that you are worthy of glory that you are worthy of honor that you are worthy of praise and we give you the adoration and the glory that you deserve in your holy name we pray and declare